get this podium to work. If you have your Bible, please open it to Ephesians 5. Today we're going to finish up our sermon series on marriage. I hope you all have enjoyed it. It's been a blessing to me and a conviction to me as well. Ephesians chapter 5, verses 21 through 33. Many husbands, including those inside the church, suffer from something called DTS. And you're like, well, what does DTS stands for? DTS stands for the Donald Trump Syndrome. The pastor of Moody Bible Church, he used this phrase in his sermon on gender roles. And he says, one time I heard Donald Trump say when he was divorcing one wife to marry another, you know, I work all day. I figure I shouldn't have to come home and work on my marriage, too. You know I work all day. I figure I shouldn't have to come home and work on my marriage, too. You see, this line of thinking isn't just outside in the world. You can have many Christian husbands who think the same way, that I shouldn't have to come home and work on my marriage. If you believe your contribution to your marriage and family are are only those dead presidents, i.e. money, then you suffer from DTS. And your marriage will soon be as dead as those presidents. Because as one artist says, when a woman's fed up, there's nothing you can do about it. When a woman's fed up, brothers, there is nothing you can do about it. She's done. So husbands, what does that mean for you? It means you have to begin to look at your marriage through the lenses of redemption and see that your marriage is ministry to your wife in Christ. When you look at your marriage through the lens of redemption, you see that your marriage is ministry to your wife in Christ. Last week we talked about Wives who minister. Today we're going to talk about husbands who minister. Husbands who work on their marriages. Husbands who handle their business at home. This is what we're going to talk about today. So if you have your Bible, Ephesians 5, beginning in verse 21. Submitting to one another out of reverence for Christ. Wives, submit to your own husbands as to the Lord. For the husband is the head of the wife even as Christ is the head of the church, his body, and is himself its savior. Now, as the church submits to Christ, so also wives should submit in everything to their husbands. Husbands, love your wives as Christ loved the church and gave himself up for her, that he might sanctify her, having cleansed her by the washing of water with the word, so that he might present to the church to himself in splendor, without spot or wrinkle, in any such thing, that she might be holy and without blemish. In the same way, husbands should love their wives as their own bodies. He who loves his wife loves himself. For no one ever hated his own flesh, but nourishes and cherishes it, just as Christ does the church, because we are members of his body. Therefore a man should leave his father and mother and hold fast to his wife, and the two shall become one flesh. This is a mystery. This is a mystery, profound, and I'm saying that it refers to Christ and the church. However, 
Let each one of you love his wife as himself. Let the wife see that she respects her husband. This is God's word. Let us pray. Lord Father, I come and and ask that you will uh, speak to me and through me today. Um, I do pray that you remove my need for approval, my need for man's praise aside, and allow your spirit to move in a mighty way. And I pray that I would decrease and that Christ would increase today in what is preached, that he would be glorified and honored through it, and that the Holy Spirit would take these words and apply it to all of our hearts. For Christ's sake, I pray. Amen. A husband uh, who ministers to his wife does three things. First, a husband who ministers lives in Christ. A husband who ministers lives in Christ. Verse 21 says, Submitting to one another reverence for Christ. I'm going to flesh out what that means for husbands. You see, the biblical roles that, that God placed in marriage are not there for the purpose of control and servanthood. But those roles are, are meant for the good and benefit of the marriage covenant itself. The wife is called to the role of helper. The husband called to the role of headship. Brian Chapel, uh, president at Covenant College, says, The right ordering of our marriages is one of the ways God brings the beauty of his love into scarred lives. The right ordering of our marriages is one of the ways God brings the beauty of his love into scarred lives. You see, the, the issue is not with our role, but it's with sin. The fall did not eliminate roles in marriage. It simply brought them under the curse of sin. This means every husband would function dysfunctionally in his role, just like wives do. Every husband would have the same dysfunction. And it was seen, it was, it's going to be seen in two ways, men. You're going to be tempt, first, you're going to be tempted to abuse your role by trying to rule over your wife. And second, you're going to be tempted to abandon your role through passivity and irresponsibility. You will struggle with those two things as a husband, internally. And, and so, a husband, you're going to feel like you're a rope in a tug of war between abandonment of your role or an, an abuse of your role. You're going to be feeling like this, going back and forth. You will have to fight against that, the desire to be self-centered and only thinking about your own interests. And the only way a husband can get truly free from living in that type of lifestyle of abusing and abandoning his role is by living in Christ. That's where it starts, by living in Christ. Husbands who minister to their wives are first men who humbly and dependently live in Jesus. That's what you are first. We've talked about submitting in verse 21 last week. And, and that the submitting here is a result of someone being filled with the Spirit. If you have been filled with the Spirit, one of the results is going to be the submitting to one another out of reverence for Christ. This means the Spirit has to be the one that is at work in your heart, in your life. The Spirit is the farmer who's working in, inside your garden. That's your heart. He plants, he waters, and he grows his fruit in you. And if he isn't doing it, it's not going to happen. And the reality, man, is that you cannot be the husband you need to be for your wife apart 
from the work of the Holy Spirit. You can't be. You need him. He is the one who leads you into all truth. He is the one who equips and empowers you to live in Christ and to live for Christ. And what does it mean for a husband to live in Christ? First, it means you must have saving faith in him. It means that first. That you believe and rest in him alone for your salvation. Next, it means, do, are you finding your identity in Jesus as a man? Is your identity in Christ? Are you resting in him as the source of your security and your significance? Is you embracing his love and grace toward you daily? Is you living in him relationally, knowing, enjoying, and glorifying Christ in relationship with him? Husbands, where are you spiritually this mo- at this moment? Where are you? Where are you in your spiritual walk with the Lord? Because if that's weak, you're going to be weak in your role. If that's weak, you're going to be weak in your role as a father and husband. So where are you? Where are you? Do you spend time fellowshipping with him? In his word, do you spend time on your knees praying to him? Are you connected with his people? Your faith is vital. When you live by faith as you husband your wife, you live by faith as you husband your wife. Christ must be the center of your heart and life. Because remember, everything you do is always an overflow of what Jesus has already done for you. And as I told the wives, look at the cross. Look at the cross, man. Because it's there where you see what he did for you. And he did it without complaint. He did it without being bullied into it. He went to the cross willingly for you. That's where you go to get your strength from, to be the husband you need to be for your wife. And when he's working in you through the spirit, one of the results is going to be this submitting to one another. And this submission here is self-denial. It's dying to one's pride and self-centeredness for the sake of others. Commenting on this submission, uh, Dr. Legan Duncan says, it means a willingness to be the least. It means being willing to watch the disciples' feet. It means being ready to prefer others ahead of ourselves. It means doing nothing from selfish ambition, but from humility. It means not being self-assertive and insisting on getting our own way but placing ourselves at other disposal. And so living out our forbearance becomes a matter of public knowledge and serving one another. It's not a weak thing. It's actually a very powerful thing. For husbands, it means you must have humility of heart to minister to your bride. And that comes when you live in Christ. When he's at the center, then you would do all this out of reverence for him. Remember that. You're doing it out of reverence for him. And that is the motivation for you to submitting to your role in marriage. You can't live out your role if you don't submit to the role. You got to submit to the role first. You got to submit to it. That means you got to know that this is what Christ has called me to be in my family. It's not what my wife calls me to be. It's not what my daddy called me to be. It's not what society has called me to be. It's what God has called me to be as a man. 
and I fulfill it out of reverence to him. No one else can head your house but you. And if another man is heading your house, then you're in trouble. You are the head of your home, and you must submit to that role. We say it's out of reverence for Christ. That means he set the standards on how you're supposed to function in that role. You don't. He does. When you do it out of reverence for him, you realize that as head of your house, you are also under authority. You are also under leadership. And that's Christ's lordship. That's what you're under. It's a, it's a commitment to husband your wife Jesus' way. You don't have to make it up on your goal. You don't have to wing it. You simply must submit to it in the power of the Spirit. Because as you grow in Christ, you will grow in submitting to your God-given role in marriage. And in Christ, your role as a husband finds redemption. It finds redemption in him. In him, you can minister to your wife what she needs from you. Do you believe it? As a father of a son... I'm always fighting against being harder and tougher on him than I am with my daughter. When he falls or and gets a boo-boo, I have to fight against myself saying, man up, son, shake it off. Big boys don't cry. And what I'm actually doing, I'm, I'm actually fighting against raising my son according to what the world says a man is. That's what I'm actually fighting against. Because men in our culture, we're, we're, we are not to show weakness. That's how we raise. We're not to open up about hurts, especially emotional pain. We got to keep all that stuff inside because real men don't talk about those things. Men are raised to man up. We're raised to just shake it off. But in reality, we don't shake it off. We internalize it, and it comes out in simple ways like in pornography and other things like that. We don't shake it off. It's going to come out, the pain and the hurt. If I raise my son where he's not allowed to express hurt and emotional pain because big boys don't cry, because big boys don't cry, then I'm tearing his masculine soul. And guess what? My future daughter-in-law will reap the consequences of it because he ain't going to be able to connect to her emotionally because big boys don't share. Big boys don't cry. Arthur Gordon Dabley says there's a tear in the masculine soul a gapping hole, a wound that leads to profound insecurity. All men are insecure. We just hide it. Because that's what men do. We mask it. Every man in this room has a tear in our soul. And guess what? Only in Christ can that tear be healed. Only in Christ can you find hope. Only in Christ can your masculinity be healed. So don't man up and shake it off. I say man down and take it to Christ. Man down and take it to him who restores, who empowers you to submit to your role in marriage. And the husband's role in marriage is headship. This brings us to our second point. A husband who ministers leads like Christ. A husband who ministers leads like Christ. For the husband is the head of the wife even as Christ is the head of the church, his body, and is himself its savior. The headship here is not talking about the husband being the source of his wife. It doesn't mean the husband has ultimate authority. That's God. 
biblical headship is not a dictatorship. It's not the, the, wife, the husband get to dominate the wife. It's not the husband ruling over his wife or being a bully to his wife. The husband is not the master of his wife who, who must sign off and approve for every move and action. Okay, honey, yes, yes, you may do that today. Go. It doesn't mean that stuff. It doesn't mean he sets all the rules so it only benefits him. The Greek term for headship actually just it means authority. It means leadership. Every husband is called to be the leader of his home. That is your role, husbands. That is your role. And it's not about manning up and shaking things off. Again, it's you manning down and going to Christ who strengthens you. Because remember, your role is under the curse of sin. Don't forget that. It's under the curse of sin. Because in your sin, you will either abuse your role by ruling over your wife emotionally, physical, and some guys, verbal abuse, or you will abandon your role by being passive and irresponsible. I don't want to work. Emotionally distant. Lack of involvement in the home. Well, my wife, she handles those things. I just work. I just bring home the money, but she does all the house stuff. You will, you will struggle with those as men. But in Christ, there is hope. There is redemption from your role. Christ can redeem your role in such a way that you minister to your wife what she needs from you. She needs things from you as her husband. Do you know what your wife needs from you? Do you know? Have you ever even asked yourself that question? Do you know what your wife needs from you? Your wife doesn't need a husband who rules over her or abandons her. She needs one who leads her like Christ leads the church. That's what she needs from you. She needs a husband who leads her like Christ leads his church. Paul says Christ is the head of a church, his body, and is, is himself its savior. Christ leads the church both responsibly and seriously. Know that. He takes responsibility for his church. He takes it seriously. He doesn't abandon it. He's not passive, but he's active. He's not irresponsible. He owns his leadership role over his church. Do you own your leadership role in your family? Do you take it seriously? And are you responsible in it? Or or you have the Donald Trump syndrome? Uh, When I get home, I don't have to work on my marriage. I work, that's good enough. Again, when she's fed up, you ain't going to be married very long. You see, taking your leadership role seriously and responsibly means you work on your marriage, husbands. It means you do what you got to do for the sake of your family, for the sake of your bride. You put in hours. You put in overtime if it needs to be. Whatever metaphor you want to use, you do what you got to do to head your house with responsibility and being serious about it. The way you're serious about your job you need to be more serious about your family and marriage. The same passion you bring to your work, you better bring that to your family. same passion you have about Alabama Auburn football, you better bring more when it comes to your family. That's what I'm talking about, men. Those other things you have passion about, you need to be ten times more when it comes to your family. Ten times more. Because they're far more important than any other things in your life. Far more important. It's you 
emotionally present at home. Not just physically present, emotionally present. This is my struggle. I can detach from people emotionally. That's just I, that's the dynamic I came from, from my family or origin. I can detach from people emotionally. I have to fight against it. I can just shut down and cut people off. And that's my struggle. Where's your struggle? You've got to know yourself to, in order to be able to realize that. I know myself. I have to fight against it and pray the Spirit to help me to stay emotionally engaged with my family when I'm upset because I can just shut, shut off. What's yours, man? Engage at home. You have to be intentionally involved with your family, intentionally involved with the finances and the discipline of the kids. It's never my wife handling these things. No, we do it together as a family. It means your family and marriage must, will be the number one priority in your life, outside of your relationship with Christ. Are they men? Not just saying it, but when you look at your life and how you function, are they number one? Because the way you function is real life. Where you spend your time is real life. So when you look at your life and how you function in society, how you function in your family, are they number one? Are they number one? Leading like Christ not only means you take your leadership role seriously, but it also means you are a lead servant at home. You are a servant leader. That's what it also means. Paul tells us again that Christ is the Savior of the church. And as her Savior, Jesus serves her church without abusing her. He serves his church without abusing her. The church is precious to him. We just sung about it. She is his bride, and he willingly serves her. John 10, 10 says, I did not come to, to serve, to be served, but to serve. Christ is a servant leader. And husbands who lead like Christ should be the same thing for their wives. The same thing. Chapel says, husbands must look past their own rights to consider what is right for, his, for their spouse. He then refuses to surrender his leadership role in family, but rather uses his biblical authority to arrange his family's resources and activities to serve the best interests of his wife and kids. That's a servant leader. He refuses to surrender his leadership role in his family, but rather uses his biblical authority to arrange his family's resources and activities to serve the best interests of his wife and kids. That's a servant leader. A husband who leads like Christ, he leads his house this way. Where are you, man? Whose best interest are we seeking to serve in our home? A servant leader has a humble heart and a healthy denial of self. That you would say, I sacrifice what I need to sacrifice for my family. That's a servant leader. That's a servant leader. In order to do that way, in order to do those, you've got to be rooted in Jesus, man. I'm telling you, you can't be this type of servant leader if you don't have Jesus empowering you to do it because your pride ain't going to want you to do it. It's going to fight against it. It will. A wife needs her husband to take his leadership role seriously and responsibly. And she also needs him to be a servant leader who lives with her in an understanding way. That's what 1 Peter 3, 7 says. Husbands, live with your wives in an understanding way. 
A servant, a servant leader husband seeks to understand his wife's, way, his wife's ways. Do you know your wife's ways? Every, husband, every, every wife has her ways. Do you know them, husbands? Do you know her dreams, her hurts, her fears, her joys? That is what it means to live your wife in an understanding way. If you don't know those things, then it's time that you talk to your wife. Talk to her. Ask her questions. For example, when she comes to you in tears and anger and frustration about something that's going on in her life, guess what? She don't want you to fix it. She's not coming. She's coming for you to you so you can emotionally understand what she's going through. That's what she's coming to you for. Not so you turn to Mr. Fix-It, but can you emotionally support her? Can you emotionally comfort her? That's just word to the wise. Take it if you want to use it. Karen Howell says in her article, Husbands Forget the Heroics, says, I once heard a Christian minister spend an hour talking on the biblical roles of husbands and wife, wives. He spent 59 minutes discussing the wives' need to submit and obey, and one minute summing up the husband's role. It was his grand now. Men, love your wives as Christ loved the church. What does that mean? Dramatic pause. It means you must be willing to die for her. He sat down, and colorful images raced through my mind of my husband leaping in front of an ongoing bull, offering himself up to cannibals in my stead. She concluded by saying, most women do not want their men to die for them. They want their men to live for them. Big difference. Men and women don't want their men to die for them. They want their men to live for them. This is what it means for a husband to live for his wife. He loves her the way Christ loves the church. That's what it means. A husband who ministers loves his wife as Christ loves the church. Verse 25. Husband, loves your wife, love your wives as Christ loved the church and gave himself up for her that he might sanctify her, having cleansed her by the washing of water with blood. Lost my place. So that, she, so that he might present the church to himself in splendor without spot or wrinkle in any, in any such thing that, he might, that she might be holy and without blemish. How does Christ love his church? By giving himself up for her. He gave and so delivered himself up for her on the cross. On the cross. That's what he did. This phrase is, is a reference to Christ's finished work in which he paid a price for the church's sins. He shows us, it shows us that Jesus loves his church sacrificially. That's what it means. He didn't have to be blackmailed into it. He wasn't forced upon the cross. He didn't go to the cross out of guilt or duty. He delivered himself up willingly out of an everlasting love for his bride, sacrificially. Jesus doesn't just love the church in word, but he loves her in actions and deeds. Just when you look at the cross, that's a work, that's an action. Him saying, I'm going to die for you because I love you. Second Corinthians 8 and 9 says, for you know the grace of our Lord Jesus Christ, that though he was rich, yet for your sake he became poor, so that by his poverty 
you might become rich. That's what he does for his church. That's what he does for you. And this is exactly what Paul is talking about him. Here, Jesus sanctified his church, setting her apart through his own poverty, as seen in his suffering and death upon the cross. The church now has been cleansed, has been set free from the guilt of sin because of Jesus' blood. That's what he's done for his bride. Jesus has redeemed the church from her state of sin and misery, and he still continues to work in her through the power of his spirit. His overall purpose and his work of redemption is in verse 27, so that he might present the church to himself in splendor. That Greek term splendor, it can also mean glorious. Glorious. The church will be glorious when he present her to himself at the wedding banquet in the last day. His bride. No more wrinkle, no more spots. Perfect. That is what he's doing. One day, she will have no more sin, no more issues, no more pain. No more suffering, no more drama, no more brokenness. As the hymns that we just sung, it says, She waits the consummation of peace forevermore. To a glorious vision, glorious, her longing eyes are blessed. The great church victorious shall be the church at rest. That is where the church is going. That is what Christ is doing in her. She will be holy without blemish. In the same way, husbands are should love their wives with their own bodies. This does not mean... Husbands don't, don't sanctify their wives. They don't cleanse their wives. It means husbands who minister loves their wives sacrificially like Christ. Sacrificially like Christ. Verse 29. For no one ever hated his own flesh, but nourishes and cherishes it, just as Christ does the church. The sacrificial love of a husband is seen in the way he nourishes and cherishes his wife. What does that look like for you men? How do you nourish? How do you cherish your wife? The word says, no one hates his own body, but he nourishes it and cherishes it. A husband feeds, he grooms, he cares, and he exercises his body. And he should show that same, do those same things when it comes to expressing his love to his wife. The same way you care for your own body, you should care for your wife. To nourish something means you always have its best interests at heart. For husbands, this means you nourish your wife by building her up in every area of her life, particularly when it comes to where she is spiritually. Another way you nourish your wife is, is still pursuing her. The same way you pursued her before she came down the aisle and took your hand in marriage. Men get lazy when they get married. We stop pursuing because we got the woman. Why do I still have to do the things we did before we got married? Pursue your bride, man. Initiate intimacy with her. Ask her out on dates. Give her a date to herself. Listen to her talk as she goes around the world and back before she makes a point. <laughs> Listen to her. Listen to her. Because they tell you every detail. And what you need to do is, I'm going to listen. Listen. Let her talk. She needs to know that you still think she's beautiful. Do you? Do you communicate it? This is what it means to cherish a bride. Show her affection. Show her tenderness. Karen Howe says again, your wife has dreams and projects too. 
Can you genuinely take an interest in her projects and sincerely rejoice with her when she proves successful? What if she receives gifts from God's spirit that differ from your own? Can you be glad for her, encourage her in the appropriate use? Don't try to mold her or suppress her. Fulfill her. Honor her tastes and preferences as you honor your own, even if hers are decidedly different. Paul urged Christian men to nourish their wives as Christ nourishes and feeds the church. This means assessing her needs, physical, emotional, and trying to meet them. And trying to meet them. So you don't have to be a romance novel husband or a lifetime movie husband to nourish and cherish your wife. You don't have to be that. As one blogger says, you can just be a boring man. A friend of mine emailed me a link to a blog post uh, that says the real truth about boring men and the women who live with them. And th- listen to what she's talking about. She's, talk- she's speaking out against the, the modern interpretation of what it means for a man to be romantic. And her point is that real romantic men are boring because their romance is seen in the day-to-day ways in which they lay down their life for their wives. It ain't going to be on TV. We won't see it on YouTube. We won't see it on Facebook. But it's the day-to-day things they do to show how much they love their wives. She says it's not for show. It's not for Facebook. It's not for YouTube. Their romance is simply for the woman who has their heart's affection. Listen to what this blogger says about true romantic men. The man who imagines slipping his arm around his wife's soft, thickening middle-aged waist and whispering that he couldn't love her more. Who imagined the manliness of standing bold and unashamed in the express checkout line with a hand, with a handy full of maxi pads and tampons because someone he loves is having an unpredict, unpredicted Saturday morning. Real romantic, real romantic just lost my spot. Real romantics imagine graying and sagging wrinkles as deepening of something sacred. The real romantics know that stretch marks are beauty marks that different shaped women fit into different shapes of man's soul, and that real romance is really sacrifice. Real romantics are boring ones. They let their heart bear a hole deep in theirs. Be one of the born romantic men, sons, and let your heart be born into, and know that there are women who love that kind of man, the kind of man whose romance isn't flashy, but because it's gritty. The man whose romance isn't about cameras, because it's about Christ. The man whose romance doesn't seem um, to go online, but it is, is internal. Romantic men know it's about laying your whole, living your whole life on your knees. Romantic men know it's about living your whole life on your knees. Are you a boring man? Be a boring man. Just be faithful to your wife in the day-to-day things that you do to love her. You ain't got to be Fabio. You ain't got to be Denzel or Tom Cruise, whoever it is you fancy. You ain't got to be those guys. Just be the man that God has created you to be for your spouse in humility. This is what it means for you to minister to your wife. Love her like Christ. Lead her like Christ. And you do that when you live in him as a man. Remember, Christ loves his church. He leads his church. And Christ lived to die for his church. And at this moment, he still ministers to his church. Do you believe that? And that table, this table is a reminder that Christ still ministers to each of you. 
And so you're feeling like, well, I'm a bad husband. I'm not a good wife. Guess what? That's why Christ died, you know, because you have sin, because you're not going to be perfect. Not going to be a perfect spouse. Not going to be a perfect mom. Not going to be a perfect husband or perfect dad. You're going to have sin. You're going to yell. You're going to make mistakes. And that's why Christ died. And this table is a reminder that even though you're going to fail when it comes to ministering to one another, this table is a reminder that Christ never fails when it comes to ministering to you. Never. Ever will fail. And so this table is for all those who are baptized, all those who actively trust in Christ and saving faith, who are willing to confess and repent of their sins, and who are members of a congregation that proclaim the gospel. Neighbors and friends, if, if we don't profess faith in Christ, we are great that you are here. We thankful that you're here. But we also ask you to watch and observe what we do. And also, if you have questions of what it means to have saving faith in Christ, please come talk to me, come talk to one of the officers, Ebony or Lau. We will gladly sit down with you and share with you the good news of the gospel. Adults, we, we do ask that the kids with you abstain from the elements until they have been admitted to the table by a church that they attend, and we leave that to your oversight. And also, our kids, those who are members of our church, and I want each of you to watch and observe what we do because it, this is a reminder of what Christ has done for you. Pay attention, kids. Look at me. This here, this table, is a reminder of what Christ did upon the cross for your sins. And guess what? It's your parents' excitement and my excitement that one day, when you come to seven faith, you get to partake of this meal with us. You will. And that's our prayer for each and every one of you. Before we uh, pass out the elements, I want to take a time and ask for you to go to the Spirit and ask them to prepare your heart. Father God, I do pray that you, we take these elements, Lord, and use them to minister to your people. And I do pray that you will give us encouragement. Um, if there is conviction of sin, help us to know that there is always forgiveness at the cross. I pray if there is any unconfessed sin, your spirit will do a work in our hearts and bring us to a place where we can repent, humble our hearts, humble our pride. One thing is true of all of us, Lord, is that we all are desperately needy of you, desperately need of your grace, in desperate need of your forgiveness, in desperate need of your presence, in desperate need of, of assurance that, Lord, you are still in our corner, that you are still a God who's good and a God who provides. 
And so, Lord, I pray that we use this time to nourish your people. In Christ's name I pray. Amen.